I'm your host, JJD, and welcome back to another episode of Our Street Neighbors. Today, we are going to be talking about the importance of various community resources for people who are experiencing homelessness. The Valley Health Partners Street Medicine Team collaborates with different community resources such as soup kitchens, shelters, and government offices in order to provide a better quality of care for patients. These collaborations allow for unique partnerships such as a safe mailing address for their patients. We are joined today by Benny Eliason, who is the program manager of the street medicine team, as well as a community health care worker. Welcome to the podcast, Benny. Thanks for inviting me. So can you tell me about what you do for the street medicine team, as well as patients? Absolutely. So I am the program manager, and I'm a community health worker as well. And so basically what that means is most days out of the week, I am on kind of on the back end, making sure operationally the team is provided with whatever tools they are in need of to make sure that they can do their job and do it well. So for clinical team members, that means making sure that they have access to whatever it is that they need from medications to vital equipment. And I work very closely with our clinical coordinator to make sure that all that happens. As far as being an outreach worker, it's how I started when I began with the team. And it's really where my heart lies. It's my passion, definitely being connected to people. So as a community health worker, I am in the community supporting our unsheltered individuals that are struggling with access to medical care and community partners that provide other services outside of medical care. So speaking about those community resources that help provide care aside from medicine, what are different types of community resources that exist for people that might be experiencing unsheltered homelessness? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm very happy that you mentioned unsheltered homelessness, which we can kind of talk about the differences at another point. But there is a huge difference between unsheltered homeless and sheltered homeless. So one being that they are residing in a shelter and so they have access, you know, running water. They're indoors and not exposed to the elements. And then, of course, there's the individuals that are what we consider rough sleeping. And so that means that they are outdoors all seasons and really getting impacted by the elements. So there is a huge difference there. When it comes to the types of community resources that exist for unsheltered individuals in general, there's soup kitchens, there's food banks. There's clothing support. There's organizations that provide ICM services, which is intensive case management services, which is an individual that is dedicated to making sure that that unsheltered individual is provided with whatever connections they need to be successful. So whether that's medication management, whether that's access to behavioral health, so mental health support, counseling, psychiatric support, medical, ICM and intensive case manager really is that individual managed to help manage their lives at this point. There's also so access, community partners offer payee services. And what that means is some organizations will have individuals that are designated to support an individual when it comes to making financial decisions. So an example is a person that is unsheltered and perhaps going up and down when it comes to mental health and medical care. And what ends up happening is, is that they're not very good with their finances. So some of our community partner organizations have colleagues within that are rep payee. And what that means is that they will support that individual by helping to pay some of their bills for them, by giving them an allowance weekly, every two weeks, however they organize it, so that that way that individual isn't left outside with nothing in their pocket to really help them when it comes to finances. And then, of course, there's housing and rental assistance and things like that that our community partner organizations offer as well. That's great that the street medicine program can work together with different community resources to help different patients. As your role as a community health worker, 
How do you work with street medicine teams to connect patients to all of these resources? Our patients are our biggest referral source. So let's start there. A lot of times, even if there's a new organization that has kind of popped up in the community that's offering a specific service, and maybe we don't know about them yet, our patients will tell us about it. So we definitely rely heavily on that. A lot of times there are internal referrals that are made, external referrals that are made. If I'm working with an individual that just mentions to me that they need support when it comes to their finances, I will reach out to an organization that I know they already frequent, perhaps let's say to grab lunch. Maybe that's an organization that provides food. I'll reach out to them and say, hey, do you offer these services? And if they say yes, I'll make a referral right there on the phone with that individual and say, hey, I want to send a client over to you guys. So that way I can make sure that they get connected and they're given the support that they need. So how does the collaboration of the different resources that street medicine has and your community resources help to contribute better care and the support needed for your patients? I think the way that I would describe that is by saying it's whole person approach. Currently in the community, in the healthcare field, in many fields, public health in general, we talk about social determinants of health. We talk about looking at a person, not just looking at what the right now is the issue, but more of, okay, what's going on in the entirety of you as a person? Because the way I usually describe it to people is, if you're my provider and I'm unsheltered currently, and I'm, let's say I have high blood pressure and I need to take my blood pressure meds or something's going to go wrong. The reality is, is that I'm so focused on where I'm going to stay that night or how I'm going to get food in my stomach or my significant other stomach if I'm with somebody or any of those things or my safety in general. I'm not going to concentrate on the fact that I need to take these meds for my blood pressure. So when I think about how do we all work together, it's because we're looking at the person as a whole. We're looking at everything that's going on. We look at your mental health. We look at your physical health. We look at your surroundings. We look at what's going on, perhaps from a trauma perspective. We have to address everything in order to bring you to now. So when we look at a person from a whole person approach, you can think about it the way you would look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first and foremost, the thing that needs to be addressed before anything more complicated can be addressed is a person's physiological needs. So food, safety, things like that, the basic necessities have to be met before anyone can even think past that for themselves. So when I think about how we all work together, I think about we're all doing our part. You know, street medicine takes care of the medical, but our partners take care of things like shelters, food, safety, because if we can get them indoors, more times out of none, they'll be safe. Thank you. So you often hear the phrase, it takes a village. So would you say that the village provided by street medicine and various community resources, such as shelters, soup kitchens, helped to break down these barriers that are in place for your patients? Absolutely. I think it does take a bit, but it's not just street medicine and it's not just community partners. There are so many behind the scenes individuals that are involved with what we do. We have our leadership from Valley Health Partners that because they give us the opportunity to do the work that we do and provide care to this unsheltered population, that's a gift in itself. One of the biggest barriers for our individuals is trust. How do we go ahead and how do we combat that? I get that a lot. How do you move past this trust? I think it's because we get the opportunity to sit and listen and build a relationship, which traditionally in a healthcare setting, providers aren't allowed to do. And so I think that's the gift that we are given. I also think about transportation. Transportation is the number one barrier for anyone that's unsheltered. So when you think about, well, how do you guys help move past this barrier? It's because we go to the people. 
we meet people where they are in that moment. We don't expect anything else. We don't push for anything else. We let that individual, that client guide the conversation, guide the visit, and really give them an opportunity to be seen and heard. Over the past few years, what are some of the things that patients have lacked that the street medicine team have worked to provide for them through different partnerships? One of the biggest things that we encountered were a lot of unsheltered individuals lacked medical insurance. And the emergency department became sort of like a drop-in that a person that needed medical care that didn't have medical insurance and couldn't be seen at a traditional clinic, but they were in need of care and care that probably could have been taken care of at an express care or a family doctor. And they weren't being given that. So what we did was, as a team, we spoke with our patients, the people receiving the services. And that's really where our information came from. And one of the biggest things that was brought to our attention was the need for a safe mailing address. And at that time, I definitely found myself wondering, like, what do you mean by safe mailing address? Again, something that I took for granted because I have a safe mailing address. And so it really opened my eyes to the fact that there is no way to receive governmental benefits, food stamps, Medicaid, things like that, that our patients need to survive without a safe mailing address for government-issued benefits because of renewals and being cut off. And let's say you're using someone's home address as a mailing address. And for some reason, you've made that person mad or now you guys are not getting along. And that person now tells you, you can't use my address anymore. Or you've received a recertification packet for your food stamps or Medicaid because you were using that address and now they've thrown it away. Now your benefits are cut. And what we did is we heard them. We said, okay, we hear you. We partnered with the postmaster for Lehigh Valley. We also partnered with the United States Postal Service and we partnered with Lehigh Valley Health Network's mail department. And what we did was we were able to really come together and create a safe mailing address for our unsheltered patients through all of those different connections. And what that basically means is that now that there's a safe mailing address, part of our intake process when we establish care with a new patient is to assist them right then and there in real time to apply for food stamps and Medicaid. So we do it all together using the safe mailing address so that way our patients can now have access to these services. What that did was now created an opportunity for us to work better and closer with the Department of Human Services, which is the entity that provides access to Medicaid food stamps and things like that. And again, what that's done is we've seen an increase over the last four to five years from about 25% of our patients insured to about 80 to 85% of our patients are now fully insured. Wow, that's incredible. Because oftentimes when you hear about unsheltered homelessness, you often hear about the lack of insurance, but it seems that through partnerships, you've listened to your patients and combated that issue here in the Valley. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge takeaway for anyone, really. I think some in society tend to want to help individuals in need the way they want to help individuals in need. And that's not how this should work. I think for the best success for the people needing the help, we have to help them how they want to be helped, how they need to be helped, not how we think they need to be helped. Do you think that a patient's lack of knowledge about various resources can affect their well-being while experiencing homelessness? Absolutely. I would be clear to say that, myself included, you don't know what you don't know. It's very difficult for anyone, whether you're unhoused or not, to access governmental documents. And let me explain what I mean by that. You can't obtain a social security card without an identification. You can't obtain an identification without a social security card. You can't obtain a birth certificate without either one of those things. So there's a catch-22 here. 
right? The system seems to be set up for people to fail. So if it's that difficult for people like you and me, if I lose my ID and my social and I can't find my birth certificate, I'm in the same scenario, whether I'm housed or not. But when you're unhoused, you have the added layer of not having the ability to have all of your things in one place. You don't have the ability to have the safety net of saying, okay, let me sit in my peaceful space. Let me think about what's happening. Let me gather my thoughts. Let me organize. Like you just can't think that way. There's a constant life of chaos right? Everything is very fast. Everything is happening very quickly. And it seems like you can't catch up. And that's what a lot of our patients have told us. It's like, how do I do this? Sometimes I don't have a perfect answer. Sometimes it's like, okay, well, let's sit down and let's think about what you do have. Let's find out what PennDOT needs, what the DMV needs in order to give you an identification, to issue you an ID. At times, street medicine has written letters of homelessness for some patients. If we've been providing care for them for X amount of time, we can say that we can vouch that they have been unsheltered since the date of them establishing care with us. So there's a number of things that we can do, but none of it is guaranteed. And so sometimes it is successful and sometimes it is not. But in the end, I think if myself included can be super confused with what's out there, what's still valid, what's not valid, what organization has been vetted, because a lot of people don't want to hear this, but not always everyone saying that they're out to help is actually out to help. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world. And sometimes it's so much harder to figure out where exactly I can go for support that I'm actually going to receive safe support from. There's no cookie cutter answer to it. Do you think that the relationships that the street medicine team has built with patients, as well as different community resources, helps to drive that trust if you refer a patient from you directly to a different community resource? Absolutely, 100%. And I think it's because we've done the legwork. Every single person on this team is not only passionate, but they're dedicated to making sure that they do what they can within their bandwidth as best as they can to support our patient population. We have a very good reputation in the community. And I think that's, again, because we say what we do and we do what we say. We don't overpromise. We never overpromise. We can only control what we can control. So yes, those individuals that have crossed between us and other community partners that we have really good working relationships with. I would say that nine out of 10 times, it's successful in helping them and supporting them to getting to where they need to get to. And that does not mean housed. So I want to be very clear on that. Not every individual that is unhoused wants to be housed. We don't have to understand it as a society. We don't have to like it as a society, but we have to respect a person's choice to make that decision for themselves. So what street medicine does really well is that we love on our patients where they are. We care for them in the moment as they allow us to. And sometimes it's not the right time and that's okay. What our patients also know is that we don't take anything personal. We understand that they have barriers and challenges in their lives that we cannot understand because we've never experienced it. But the reality is, is that if we can help, we're going to help. But yes, to answer your question as simply as I can, I think that having those built relationships with community partners do at times make it easier for patients to kind of navigate the waters of social services. I think it's beautiful that the street medicine team allows each patient to take the relationship at their own pace, wherever they want, and that the street medicine team is willing to go wherever the patient is comfortable and meeting them exactly where they are. Absolutely. So how long have you been doing street medicine? 
I have been a part of the street medicine team for five years now. As you mentioned, I started on the team as the community health worker. Over the years, have moved into the site manager position and then currently the program manager position. Initially, what made you join street medicine five years ago? Five years ago was my entrance into street medicine. But in general, my entrance into the world of social services started a very long time ago. What I realized was that there was a point in my life a very long time ago where I found myself knocking at the same door and standing at that same doorstep than some of my patients find themselves today. Had it not been for organizations similar to street medicine, like community partners that do other types of services, I would have never found myself here doing what I'm doing for a career now. So definitely the opportunity to give back and be for someone else or attempt to be for someone else, what some individuals were in my life, which made a huge difference. Finally, what is one takeaway that you have for someone either that is working with an underserved population or looking to work with an underserved population in the future? Number one, this work is not easy. This work will weigh on your heart and will weigh on your soul. And I know that everyone talks about self-care, but I will stress as much as I can that self-care has to come first. Because if you do not take care of yourself, you cannot take care of others. So all that work will be for nothing. I'm not saying that you've got to go and spend weeks away at country clubs and do all these different things, but you have to do the little things that are going to save your heart and your soul and really ground you. Because again, what we do is hard and it will absolutely eat away at your soul if you allow it to. Thank you for that piece of advice. I want to thank Benny again for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Benny. Thank you. In today's episode, we talked about the importance of collaboration between street medicine teams and various community resources that can truly make an impact on patients. Additionally, we talked about how important it is to listen to your patients and hear their needs as they live on the streets. It is through doing so that one really gains the trust and connections with patients and community resources. Thank you so much for listening in today. You can find more information about the Valley Health Partner Street Medicine team in the show notes below. Stay tuned for the next episode of Our Street Neighbors, where we'll talk about the different types of technology that street medicine teams use out in the field. See you then.